good to, to feel opposition and then conquer it in Jesus' name? Yes! Yeah. Just, uh, just today, as I was uh, just mulling over the message and stuff, I woke up with like migraine strength headaches, um, almost didn't make it to worship practice on time. My wife walked outside of our apartment to reveal a flat tire on our car. Praise <laughs> <laughs> God, we're here. Amen. Uh, but uh, tonight, the name of the message on today, which is Wednesday, May 9th, 2012, the title of tonight's message is, What Do I Bring to the Table? Um, earlier this year, back in January, before my wife and I got married, back when she was still Stephanie Durbeck, praise God, she's not anymore. Yeah. I was part of a worship team meeting that took place in Matthew Piero's house, and we all prayed and we sought vision for the year, or more so, Matt had vision for the year from the Lord, and he shared it with the rest of the worship team. And we just started to pray and intercede for one another and encourage one another. And uh, I, I felt like the Lord gave me like a, a little snapshot of a, of a vision, um, not not a not an open one like uh, Jen might have seen or others might have seen, but just kind of a, a picture of, of a table set up and a table set up and there being people that were, were guests to this dinner. Some were highly revered and some were people that you wouldn't want to talk to because of what they brought or what they didn't bring to the table. And learning under Eric, uh, I've learned that in Jewish culture it was customary to bring something if you were invited as a guest to your host's table. If they provided all the food and, and the meat and, the, and all the main dishes you provided, maybe cutlery or, or plates or something of that nature, and you, you left it there. Because the sacrifice that the host had made was far more than the sacrifice you would make by bringing something and leaving it there. And from that, I, I began to, to ask, like, what does this mean, Lord? I mean, what, what, what is the difference between the people that bring something and the people that are without it? I mean, they were all invited to the banquet. They were all people that were on the guest list, people that had the banquet clothes. But some of them brought stuff and some of them didn't. And um, I, I was really seeking out what it meant and still didn't know, and I was just uh, doing the daily reading plan. This will tell you how far along, how far back this was. I was in Exodus. Uh, that's how long Eric made me sit on the word. Come on. <laughs> uh, it was in Exodus. And, yeah, do y'all mind if we read a whole chapter of the word? Uh, All right, Isaiah 16. So when you are there. Isaiah 16 or Exodus? Oh, my bad. Yeah. Exodus 16. <coughs> there. I saw a scripture that I have from Isaiah on my notes. <coughs> Let me do a little drink of water. Alright. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between... <laughs> Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take it over for each person you have in your tent. That's, that's two gallons about that are found out. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered <coughs> much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two homers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to, to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna 
until they reached the border of Canaan. And Omer is one tenth of Ephraim. Now, I, I read that, and uh, I read that whole chapter, and I began to see a picture of, of what fellowship is supposed to look like and what you're supposed to be doing on days whenever you're not meeting in fellowship, whenever you're just going day to day with, with just, just you and the Lord gathering what you need daily. It says that the day, uh, and I know that we don't technically meet on the Jewish Sabbath, the day that it's supposed to be, but the day that we meet and congregate and, and come together, uh, we're that's not supposed to be a day where we're running around trying to gather stuff. This is not supposed to be your weekly meal. This is supposed to be a time where you can rest, a time where you can uh, encourage one another, a time where you can, yes, look for something to help sharpen your, your faith and sharpen your walk with Jesus, but the times where we come together are not necessarily meant just to, just to be fed and to, to look for our food on that day only. You're supposed to get fed six days of the week and then come and have enough already built up to where you don't have to go looking for it. So if you don't have to look for your food, then there's less of a selfish mentality going on. You, you have the mindset of looking towards other people's needs. And I felt like the Lord was telling me that that's what that vision of the banquet was about. There were some people that came to the banquet, had the right clothes on, or on the guest list, or, or believers, but that weren't contributing something to the banquet, that weren't offering something of themselves as a sacrifice to others, that weren't hurting a little bit so that their brothers could could be encouraged, or hurting a little bit so that their host could feel that they honored him. Uh, and to, to honor the host is to bring something. You bring Jesus a sacrifice of praise when you come in here, right? Amen. You bring something for the host. You bring something and it shows the host you honor him and it encourages all the guests there. Uh, throughout scripture, there's lots of references to, to tables and, and banquets and stuff. Just a few there are in Isaiah 25. Um, there's yeah, favorite. Uh, it's mentioning that in, in that day there will be uh, a banquet set up, a wedding banquet. Well, let's just go ahead and turn to Isaiah. Yeah. Isaiah 25. Starting in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. You will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It goes on to talk about more, but for the purposes of the message, I'm just going to stop there. Um, places like uh, Matthew 22 talking about a wedding banquet and certain people were invited. Some people didn't have the right clothes that they were told to, to get out because they weren't wearing the righteous acts of the saints that Revelation talks about. They weren't properly clothed for the, for the banquet. They didn't come in the manner that the host requested they come. Another place that the table is mentioned is uh, 2 Samuel 9. Uh, David bringing Mephibosheth to his table. Um, by all means, Mephibosheth, by his bloodline, was an enemy of David. Just like 
by our bloodline, Adam, we're, we're, we're an enemy of God, uh, just steeped in sin at, at birth. Uh, but just like David, um, Jesus invited us to, to his table, and there was a means of reconciliation. Throughout, throughout Jewish history, tables represented reconciliation. If you were to, to have dinner with an enemy, most likely by the end of that dinner, you wouldn't be enemies anymore. If you were to have dinner with a friend, your, your bond will be stronger after the dinner than it was prior to the dinner. And, and that, that's what God was trying to do with us. It, in 2 Corinthians 5, the, the word says that he reconciled us to himself. And that's that, that's that table language, that's that banquet language that there's been a, a table laid out before us. Um, and in Colossians 1, 21 through 22, if you want to turn there. Everybody there? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's pretty good because there was a lot of things that I could rightfully be accused of before Jesus and the enemy would have plenty of ground. Thank God he doesn't stand anymore. The one that condemns is condemned. Yeah. It's liberating, and that's why it says you're free from accusation. Um, I, I looked this up, and it, it's not just something that's uh, ancient, not something that's biblical time only. In, in some modern weddings in, in Jewish culture, they still do it potluck style. They they rely on, yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not just the Yeshua HaMashiach that we follow the Jews in. It's the potluck style. But it's it's a uh, it's that sense that I mean everything's riding on the guests. I mean the people. There's been a table set out, but you still have your part to play as a guest. Just because you're a guest at, at, at a banquet doesn't mean that you can just coast. It doesn't mean that you can just sit there and eat and eat and eat and eat. You gotta you gotta provide something. Um, and as I was thinking about some things that the Lord has prescribed for us as guests to bring. Um, if you flip over a couple pages, I mean, to Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. <coughs> so when we come together, we're supposed to be bringing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, something to edify the body. You're supposed to be walking in that door and that, that little should be a, a chime to let you remember that, oh, I'm supposed to be here not just for myself, not to get fed, but to look for who can I bless with the joy that the Lord has given me this morning? Amen. Amen. Who, who can I encourage with 
the freedom that I'm feeling from a sin that somebody else might be struggling with. And, and you're supposed to come with that mindset of, of edifying somebody. And uh, it's, it's funny, um, whenever I looked at Jewish wedding customs, which is something dear to my heart, because uh, whenever I proposed to my, my wife, Stephanie, uh, I kind of did it uh, Jewish style. I, we, we did a little message up here around Jewish uh, engagements, and she had a big smile on her face, and so did I. And then a couple months later, had an even bigger smile on her face because we're married. Aww. Yeah, that's right. Aww. Smiley. That's her nickname. That's not just her nickname. That's her nature. I'm sorry. I forgot everybody else was here. <laughs> anyway. Whenever you're looking for what gifts to bring to, to a wedding, uh, just because lots of times uh, banquets that were set up coincidentally happened to be uh, weddings. Uh, that, was, that was a huge get-together, a huge banquet opportunity. Uh, you could get gifts uh, from something on the registry. So you could, you could bring gifts that are listed here in the Word that uh, I would say is the, the registry for the bride and the bridegroom, things that are listed to bring to the to the banquet, to the table that's set out before you, things that you're supposed to be operating in whenever you whenever you, whenever you're out there and in here, whenever you're practicing and when you're performing. Uh, uh, a, a really cool thing though, I found out that uh, whenever you do like the whole money tree thing in a wedding, Jews don't do just divisions of ten or divisions of five. Um, Whenever you give gifts of money, they like to give gifts in uh, in multiples of 18. And the reason being, the word high in Hebrew, its numeric value is 18 whenever you add up the, the letters. And so they want to bring a gift of life to, to the banquet. Whatever it is, whether it's 18 times 2 or 18 times 50, you got a rich uncle or something like that. But you bring, as, as long as it's life-giving, it doesn't matter if it's not on the registry. I mean, as long as, I mean, it, if, if it's something the Spirit is prompting in you to be life-giving, the Spirit doesn't contradict the Word. I'm pretty sure you might find it somewhere in the Word later, if it, even if it's not rolling around in your mind. But always have the, the mindset of bringing life to the banquet. If there's a banquet set up and there's other guests there, and you don't see life in every single one of the guests, make it, I mean, I'm speaking in, I'm speaking in terms, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Each other. Like, whenever y'all don't see life in somebody else's eyes, make it a point to right then have that little mental dee -dee -dee go off and then bring life to somebody. Amen. Because that's what you've been given life instead of death. If you see somebody in the least bit operating back in that death, you get that hand, just like Eric was talking about before. Put that hand down and say, hey, like, I know you need help walking. I know you need help getting up. Put it out there. Um, and all this is, is really um, what we do whenever we're with each other. It's really dependent on what we feed on on those previous six days. What we bring whenever we come to fellowship, when we come to honor the, the Gentile Sabbath. Uh, it, we it's, just it's, call it the Lord's Day, first the, day of the week. The Lord's Day? First day of the week? Okay. Uh, 
whenever we come to fellowship and to honor the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, um, it's dependent on what we've been doing from the past Sunday afternoon till Saturday night, what we've been feeding ourselves. Um, I mean, you can't give something you don't have. If you've been dwelling in death, if you've just been watching um, Sex and the City or whatever, kind of un I'm, I'm just, I, that's the first ungodly show I thought of. So, anyway, if, that's not even on the air anymore. Wow. Um, insert whatever ungodly TV show you can think of. But if, if you've just been putting that into your, into your spiritual mouth, and feeding yourself with that uh, every day, that's about what you're going to be able to regurgitate whenever you come into, into service. Yeah. It, it's not going to be anything life-giving. You're not going to have anything edifying to give to somebody. And recently, Steph and I, uh, that, that became really, uh, it hit home for us, really. Whenever uh, we were watching, uh, I was watching, really. A TV show and there was a young man that came to another young man and the young man that was seeking guidance was a Christian in the TV show and he said what should I do with these urges that I have and for all intents and purposes he just said just go with them because there, there's no way you can resist those kinds of temptations and then he proceeded to say I'm a good Christian too but there weren't girls in short shorts and the internet back when the Bible was written. And I got disgusted with the TV show, and then moments later I got disgusted with myself for being so apathetic and having watched it seasons prior, episodes prior, weeks prior, and, and not have my, my conscience pricked to, to do something about that and to, to change what I was doing. But I did right then and there, and whenever the word in Galatians 5 talks about impurity is one of the acts of the sinful nature, that's not something like super vulgar. It's just being mixed with the world. It's just doing things as the world does, watching things that the world watches, listening to what the world listens to, saying what the world says, and not having our minds renewed by this word. Amen. And TV, uh, I know Eric stands on it, uh, but I, I've, <laughs> I think everybody knows Eric stands on it. Uh, but I, I've come to, to have a... A different relationship with it here recently than I have in the past. Everybody's always known me as the guy that can quote TV and movie and music trivia, but I, I want to duck my head sometimes whenever I hear that, whenever somebody says that that's an admirable quality about me. Because if that's all I have left with, whenever, if that's all I have left whenever I'm standing in front of the King of Kings, I'm going to be ashamed of myself. Uh, I since since I came in the kingdom, I, I've been trying to study this word and get that in me. And um, I don't know if the movie stuff is going to come out by how much word I put in there, but uh, I, I know there's more word than movies in it right now. And Amen. praise God that Amen. that He doesn't leave you where where you were. Um, and there's nothing wrong with movies, but there is something wrong with getting so invested in movies emotionally, mentally. Or TV to the point where you're nostalgic about the episode you just watched and eager to watch the next one without getting in the word ever even crossing your mind. That's idolatry. 
Um, like I said, whenever uh, we come together, um, and whether we're able to bring something to each other is dependent on whether or not we've been feeding ourselves the right stuff, whether or not what's in us as walking, living, breathing tabernacles is, is the ark of God's testimony or, or ours, whether it's showing God's provision or the provision that we have for ourselves or whether it's, it's filled with the stuff that we're interested in or whether it's filled with God's commands. Um, if y'all you, if could turn to Hebrews 9. Uh, I, I didn't realize that we were going to Hebrews 9 on Monday night until Monday during the morning. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to be teaching on a little bit of this. And that's kind of scary considering Eric Stevens is about to preach on it. Um, but... Starting in verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Uh... Eric really pointed out that that is pretty funny. That, um, it's something that would have been so elementary to them because they've heard about it in their history. He just went ahead and decided to sum it all up and say we can't discuss these things in detail now. Thankfully, there, there's no rush on um, our ability to get in the word. The person who was writing this might have not wanted to expound on it for the sake of it getting to the right people in the right time. Who knows? But we can seek out these things in the Word. There's no, there's no time limit. There's no constrictions to us seeking these things out in the Word. So we can find out the deep mysteries of God if, if we seek them out. Because He likes to reveal them to us. If you seek them out. Uh, I, was at, I was texting Eric earlier today. What's, uh, what's the prayer that rabbis pray uh, whenever they can't understand something in the Word? And by all means, I know that these kind of examples and kind of shadows and types, if, if I listed any, um, might not be the entire picture of God's word wrapped up in a however many minute message. Uh, just, just pray that uh, whatever's a mystery to you, whatever's a mystery to me, it'll be revealed, uh, and and that God God can't be pigeonholed through whatever I'm teaching, through whatever somebody else has taught you. God is, is a 70-sided jewel. His word is a 70-sided jewel. You turn it one way and you'll see something different. You turn it another way, you'll see something different than that. Um, like I said, God can't be pigeonholed. But the prayer that rabbis pray, whenever they encounter something in the word that they don't quite understand, or something that doesn't paint a whole picture for them, it's, thank you, Lord, that I do not yet understand this, for I know that you will reveal it to me, for you are the revealer of mysteries. <coughs> Praise God that he revealed to, to Paul the, the mystery of the gospel with having us be included. I mean, if, if he hadn't had that revelation, uh, I don't know how long it would have taken uh, us Gentiles to get grafted in. The dude wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So I don't know how long that would have taken, but praise God, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm in Jesus. Uh, I'm not steeped in, in sin. 
anymore. Um, I'm made alive and I'm living abundantly, even with the uh, flat tires and saving for another busted car. And, I mean, this is the abundant life because our, our life does not linger on those things anymore. Whenever we were in the world, we might have panicked and, and thought that that was the end of our world because our, our, our world really did hinge on material possessions. It really did hinge on how we felt and, and how um, we acted back then. But it, right now, all it hinges on is obedience. Our, our life hinges on obedience right now. Um, if y'all could turn to Deuteronomy 10. <laughs> Starting in verse 1. Somebody with a loud, authoritative voice. Go ahead and read that. 1 through 5. At that time, the Lord said to me, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first one, and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden chest. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Then you are to put them in the chest. So I made the ark out of acacia wood, and chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one. And I went up on the mountain, on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made, as the Lord commanded me, and there they are now. So as Eric brought up on Monday night, lots of people will say that what's in the Ark of the Covenant are the broken tablets of the law. And anybody reading this verse would say no to that. Um, it, it's not the broken law. Because the law, is. there's nothing broken about the law. What's broken is, is us. What's broken is us before Jesus. Before the infilling of his Holy Spirit to give us the power to say no to sin. Before his grace teaches us to say no to sin. And we have just been taught to say yes, yes, yes. Give me more, give me more. Um you got to be mindful of what's what's in that ark, what, what you're putting in there. Make sure you're putting in there God's commands daily. That what, what you walk out the door with whenever you're, whenever you're walking, moving, breathing tabernacles, walking out the door. That in that ark of the covenant inside you, the ark of God's testimony, is supposed to be all about glorifying God. Make sure you put His commandments in there. Because that, that's where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in the deepest, most intimate place of who you are, even past some of the more apparently intimate places. It's supposed to be at the very epicenter of where you and Jesus meet and, and where God's Spirit has been united with your Spirit. His commands are supposed to be in there. And the Word daily is important. Uh, I've experienced days without the Word and there, there's a, a visible, tangible difference. Whenever I felt like I just don't have time, or I didn't make time, or other things got in the way, there's a visible, tangible difference to how my day goes. Not, not necessarily how my day goes, but how I react to my day. How, how I have a heavenly perspective versus a worldly one. How I get overwhelmed instead of overcoming what's trying to overwhelm me. Uh, 
put put the commands in there every day. Don't don't put something that that you continue to, to break in there. Don't put something that you, you tried and failed at in there. Like don't put your your efforts to try and get in the word, but then you end up watching TV instead. And oh, that's God's broken law. I mean, you you, you put him. You now put a TV or video games or your wife, your husband, your dog, your money, whatever, over him. And that, that breaks God's heart and it breaks his law because that, that's not the kind of relationship that Jesus' blood paid for. Um, put God's commands in there. Make sure they're, they're locked up tight in there that, that you might not sin against them. That, that's how we can remain pure. That's how we remain unmixed with the world. God's commands. That, that, that's said in Psalm... 119, 9 through 11. That, that the way that you can keep your way pure is by having your commands, having God's commands in your heart. You might not sin against them. Um, everybody turn to Deuteronomy. Oh, I'm sorry, we were in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy, oh yeah, 8-3. We'll show Deuteronomy. Starting in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Whenever you're walking out of your door on a daily basis, whether it's one of the six days where, well, for us five, no, for us like four, if you go to foundations, Wednesday night service and Sunday morning service, uh, any time where you're not coming to fellowship, what you need to, to combine with the, the commands of God is the bread from his presence. Um, there's nothing else that will sustain you. There's nothing else that will keep you going for more hours than you had sleep. If, if you've had four hours of sleep and then you have a 12-hour day or a 16-hour day or an 18-hour day, there's nothing, no, no monster energy drink can really sustain you. Uh, Amen. No, no amount of carbo-loading will really sustain you, no amount of coffee. <laughs> but... Uh, we don't live on bread alone. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. That intimate time spent with Him in His Word, where He reveals the mysteries of the universe to you. Where He shows you how to walk more like Jesus walked. How to course correct daily and, and how to, to show Him on a daily basis how much you enjoy that time in His presence by being obedient to what He told you while you were in His presence. Um... I mean, Exodus 16 said that, that that manna was part of what was in the um, in the Ark of the Covenant. There was two or four gallons of it. Uh, that's what an omer was. No, it said there were two omers. So an omer is a gallon. There, was, there were two gallons in there. That, that's a lot of manna. That's, um, there should be uh, an abundance of, of God's living word in your life. There should be an abundance of time spent in his presence that's just visible to everybody that you see. Everybody that sees you. 
It was like Moses having the glory on his face after he came down from the mountain and spent time with God. It should be something that's glowing. You should be dripping with Jesus whenever you, you spend intimate time with him. If, you, if your face is downcast, um, I mean, look, look where that got Cain. Look, look what the result uh, of Cain's being downcast was. He, he didn't control his emotions with the bread from God's presence. He didn't submit himself to God's commands. And, and he wound up killing his brother and going further and further down. That word that Eric said about your emotions is very, very true. If, if you don't make it a point to put into submission your emotions and your flesh, they will rule you. Amen. They, the whole point of the Spirit was to empower you so that they will not rule you anymore. So that each step you take is not dictated by your flesh or by your emotions or how you feel. That is dictated by the Almighty God who gave you the breath to be able to move in the first place. Amen. Amen. Let's go to number 17. Yeah, number 17. I'm not there. bad thing about working in customer service, if you lose your voice, there's no real recovery time. <laughs> Just talking all day. I'm in number seven. Are y'all number 17? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what? Okay. Thank you. God bless little brothers. Do they need protection around them? <laughs> Let's see here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tri tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name. For there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. And uh, back in Hebrews 9, it says that that staff that budded, that staff that showed life, showing that uh, Aaron was God's appointed man on the scene, God's appointed priest to make atonement for the rest of the people, the staff that showed that life could come out of something dead and dry, that's that's also what was put in the Ark of the Covenant. So what you should bring with you wherever you go, and especially to, to the world, and, and especially to, to fellowship, and, uh, is, is that even a word? to fellowship, um, is, is bringing time spent in God's presence because that's priceless. The Lord views a day like a thousand years. He, he, could, he could spend all the time in the world with you that you wanted because he he doesn't have he doesn't have um, things on a to-do list that he's worried about. He's not worried about tomorrow. He's not worried about his finances. He's not worried about the time on his clock. He, he, he wishes that, that we would be like that too. 
and spend time with him and, and get edified in his presence, get what we need, get get more of him. Um, and we're also supposed to walk out with God's commands in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. And we're, we're supposed to walk as well in, in the power of resurrection of life from the dead. We're supposed to walk daily in, in something that, that proves that that I'm not a mistake, that I am chosen by the Almighty God, that, that my life has purpose, that, that you're not just aimless walking around. I can tell y'all before, before I was in the kingdom, before God called me, I really did feel like I had no purpose. I, I was really, really lost. I was into drugs and, and pornography and... Um, and just into my own flesh, really. I mean, I, I would be angry all the time. I would be conceited and selfish and and depressed and, and just a whole laundry list of things that, that would just make me spiral downwards. My emotions were my enemy because my emotions took membership with my flesh and gained up on my spirit because I didn't yet have the power of the Almighty God working in me. Praise God I do. Amen. Praise Amen. God that, that I do now and that that everybody willing to, to draw near to the Lord and receive that from Him has it too. Because you get a purpose whenever you come into the kingdom. You get a goal, a direction, a target whenever you, you sign yourself up for the army of the Lord. Whenever you commit your life to Jesus, you, you get a purpose. You get a point to your life. It's not just live here in some kind of dismal existence and then die. You get a point to your life. You get to bring God's kingdom to the farthest reaches of the earth. You get to, to crucify yourself because yourself didn't do anything for you in the first place but bring you to death anyway. And you get to exalt the king of kings in your life and bring his kingdom forward. And, and the way that me and Steph uh, have that calling, the way that me and Steph bring something to the banquet we've been revealed uh, recently uh, in more of a holistic picture we, we've always known that, that spreading the Lord's joy was something that we were both um, geared towards that, that spreading the joy of the Lord was something that we were compatible with in our callings whenever we got started dating and got engaged and got married And uh, but here recently I felt like uh, at in worship like a month or two ago, Jesus showed me specifically that we have that same type of ministry that Aaron and her did. Whenever Moses was struggling to lift his hands, whenever he had done everything he could to lift his hands, Aaron came on one side, her came on the other, and helped him praise the Lord regardless of his regardless of how much it hurt, regardless of how tired he was. They helped him to praise the Lord and and what we say in the church about praise? Close you out. We, I feel like my wife and I have that ministry of pulling people out. Amen. And we, we can't be, like I said, you can't give something you don't have. We we have the ministry, I feel like, of putting this on people's faces. Putting this, this big curvature right here that's otherwise known as a smile when it's on your face on people's faces when it's not there. And to, to bring the joy of the Lord to people that that might not have it at all, 
to people that it, it might have escaped for the moment, that might love Jesus with all their hearts, but it might just have escaped for the moment. That, that's our ministry. That's what we're bringing to the banquet. That's what we're bringing to fellowship. And um, that, that brings life. The joy of the Lord brings life to people. It, I mean, it brings life to me whenever, whenever I'm frustrated right before uh, service is about to start about I don't even know what. Whenever I'm like, great, we got a flat tire and we're already trying to save for a car that doesn't work at all. And worship's about to start and I gotta give a message. Awesome. Uh, <coughs> praise God. That, that's what I did. That's what I did. I commanded my soul to praise God because I didn't feel like it. And I, I, I've been in the kingdom a little, a little more than five years now. And I've got that trigger in my spirit that whenever I don't feel like doing something that I know the word has commanded me to do, I say, no, 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 devil. You will not have my emotions. You had them then. You don't own them now. Jesus owns them now. Amen. The spirit of the almighty God is what controls them and me now for his glory. Not for my own uh, spiraling down or for my own existence, but for his glory. And I will praise the Lord with every part of me. And then worship started. And we did. We praised the Lord. And we broke through. I, I remember having that feeling of, of the Lord's approval because I obeyed him regardless of circumstance. That's right. There, there's there's, there's a, a good feeling that, that a kid gets from, from a father whenever they do what their dad says. But there's even more of a feeling of, a feeling of accomplishment if dad says to go wash the car. And then somebody might have stolen the car from the driveway and you've got to go be a crime stopper and hunt it down and get the car back to even wash it. There's more of a feeling of accomplishment whenever he says, job well done, washing the car. Amen. Uh, I felt like that's what it was. The enemy was trying to steal the joy from me. I took it back and, and I felt the Lord's approval for it. Amen. It's, it's a good feeling. Um. God always intended uh, for for us to, to walk with him in us. I mean, Jeremiah 31 talks about a time where God's covenant will be written on our hearts and we'll be intimate with him. Um, let's see here. Exodus 26 shows that uh, whenever the regulations for the tabernacle were made, the the sides of it were supposed to be made of, of flesh, of, uh, believe it or not, sea cows, dugongs, manatees, um, and, and I believe goats. Um, in the word, God always intended to dwell with us. I mean, that, that's, that's evident in Adam. God always intended to dwell with us and be among us. And... Um, some of the words that, that were given, like uh, the Lord's not far from those who are, are broken and contrite in heart. He always wants to be near you if you want to be near him. Um, I was looking at these, these words meaning uh, tabernacle in, in uh, Hebrew and in Greek. But since a lot of it was in the New Testament, it was in Greek. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, when it's talking about, you know, let's just turn to 2 Corinthians 5 ahead of myself. Everybody there? 
Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we, were in, while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that, it, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us his spirit, given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, let me just stop there. And the, wherever it says tent, the original, like it, I love the NIV, but the King James actually got it got it right in this one, whatever it says, tabernacle instead of tent. Um, that, that's meant to invoke pictures in your mind of what tabernacles were, especially <coughs> especially if you were a, grew, a, a Jew that grew up with these things and could visualize them. Um, and that, that word that's used there is skanos, just skanos. Uh, it, it's a word meaning a hut or a temporary residence. Figuratively, the human body is the abode of the spirit. So that, that's telling us right now, they're telling us right there that, that God always intended for us to dwell with him. And another thing that, that I got in, in all of this, whenever I was looking at the tabernacles, whenever there was a, a temple set up in Jerusalem, there was this thing called a dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, between those that were given the ability to go in and those that weren't, those that didn't have the right as heirs. And, I mean, that way has been broken up and for us. That, that wall has been smashed. And even more so than that, not only can we come into the courtyard, not only can we come into the holy place, no, we can also come into the most holy place with the Almighty God. We can be intimate with Him. We can seek counsel from Him. We can give him our praise directly we can let him know how much we adore him directly and that's that's a precious gift and I, I began to um, see back in uh, Colossians uh, back in 312 that um, there was something there more than was meeting the eye with that scripture um, I was reading in 3 Yeah, 312. Um, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. When, when you're walking in that door, when you're walking... To work, not walking to work, maybe. But when you're walking at work or wherever you're at, you need to not only have in mind the things of God, not only have been feeding yourself the right things and putting the right things in your your tabernacle and putting the right things in 
the dwelling where God has his presence in your in your spirit. You're also supposed to not put up again that dividing wall of hostility. I feel like that's what I got from being all these things like compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. Um, a lot of times we can guard ourselves from the world. We can decide to, instead of rolling up the sides that we can stand, we, we guard ourselves too much. We, we, we don't let people in and, and we, we get offended easily and we put up walls and we decide that we won't talk to this person for, for this amount of time. And Jesus paid for that to be destroyed. So if, if you walk in here and you get offended, or if somebody's offended you prior to the, the week starting, remember that it's not your job to put up what Jesus has torn down. Don't, offense has no place in the body of Christ. And, and I felt like that was important because uh, I talked to a brother earlier in the week, and he, he said he, he felt like somebody was, uh, he, he didn't feel like getting offended anymore. He didn't feel like offending people. And I was like that. And I thought, that's tragic. I mean, why why would there be that? And it's because people, when they get offended, they put up a wall. And then from that, they start to bounce things off and start to offend other people. And that wall being there is ungodly. Take, take walls down. I mean, the word says to guard your heart first, the wellspring of life. But to those you're in covenant with, there's no need to guard anything. There's no need to, to put up walls and be hostile. And, and have offenses and stuff like that. Because, I mean, we're all in covenant together. I'm in covenant with Jesus. Stephanie's in covenant with Jesus. Judah's in covenant with Jesus. Curtis is. We're all in the same covenant together. So just like there's not supposed to be any any guarded type things between me and my wife, there's not supposed to be with people that are, are in covenant with with the same Jesus that you are. I, I feel like that, that that's happened uh, too much. I don't know if it's as rampant in our church, but I see it with, with some people. I've seen it living with roommates and stuff like that, how easily we can get offended sometimes, but definitely uh, tear, tear those walls down and, and open yourself up to, to getting hurt sometimes, but also if you're not open, who's going to be edified by what's in there? If it's all completely shut off, who's going to be edified by seeing what's in there, seeing what God has put inside of you? It's, it's got the same effect. Nobody can see what your offenses are, and nobody can see what the Holy Spirit has put in you. And um, back in 2 Corinthians 5, to kind of wrap this up, um, starting in verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you, again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we know we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise God. Amen. The old has gone and the new has come. Amen. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's that table language again. He prepared a table for us and he allowed us to, to open up that table to other people and to, to invite people in and, and to be good guests to, to our host, to, to be obedient and to, to honor the one who is showing us such love and such friendship that we, we could never have even fathomed. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It says right there that as though God were making his appeal through us. Another version uh, of that word, skenos, or skene, or skeno, there's lots of variations, but the root word, one of the meanings is it's an image cast by an object and representing the form of that object. We're, we're supposed to be little offshoots of the big branch. We're supposed to be reconciling people just like we've been reconciled. We're supposed to be edifying people just like we've been edified. We've been given that ministry. Reconciliation isn't an option. It isn't an option as to whether or not I will forgive this brother or this sister or this person in my workplace. We've been given that ministry of reconciliation. That's part of what we're put here to do. What that looks like for each individual person I, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't have the ability to prophesy right now over each and every individual person of what that looks like, but we've been given that ministry of reconciliation. We need to take it seriously yeah. whenever we meet with each other, yeah. to edify each other, to, to look, to be on the lookout for as soon as we walk in that door, who can I bless with the blessings that I've been given? Who can I edify with, with what has enriched me in my soul? Who can I bring from, from darkness to light a little bit because I've been made into a light by the power of Jesus? Yeah. Aren't y'all glad Brandon's been made into a light by the power of Jesus? Yeah. Come on, man. How many of you know the familiar scripture in Revelation 3? After Jesus has spoken to six of the churches, he's speaking to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and... If any man would invite me in, we would sup together. Yeah, I've, I've reverted to King James. <laughs> it's the ministry of reconciliation. He just chided all of the churches. He just told them what they've done wrong and what they've done right, but he said, I'm standing here. We can get this right together. Come on, that's what each one of our lives are about. Our brother mentioned to us the rabbinic prayer about the revealer of mysteries. This comes from Daniel 2.29. You know, when the monarchs of the world wanted to know what was going to happen in the world, Daniel said the revealer of mysteries has made it known. Our brother encouraged us that six days a week God's people gathered. They gathered what God had revealed to them. They went to bed and there was nothing there. They woke up and something had appeared. Come on, and it was sweet like honey. What is God bringing in your life that is sweet like honey? What wasn't there yesterday and is there today that you can gather for six days? Because when we get together, it's already supposed to be gathered. 
You're not supposed to come to church to gather it. You're not. You're supposed to come to church with your basket full to share it. Amen. Yeah. So our brother began to encourage us. He told us that in Deuteronomy 10, Moses put the law in his box. What did you put in your box this week? What's in your knapsack? What are you dragging around? Is it an offense? Or is it a, something that was revealed that is sweet as honey that you can't wait to share with somebody? He said that our Jewish brothers like to give money at weddings. Praise God for that. I'll remember that next time I'm at a Jewish wedding. The Mantra in the word chai, life, is 18. The value of 18, he said, and it represents life. I didn't know that. Thank you for that. Are you bringing something in your backpack that gives life to people? I mean, when you walk into the room, do you suck life out of it or do you give life to it? Come on now, we've all been on both sides of that coin, right? i got a neighbor lives down from me and when I walk out, you know, I get in my car and I look, I want to hide behind the hedge bush. Okay. But we're not allowed to do that. You have to bring life. This is what he's encouraging us. He spent a lot of time in Colossians. Colossians encourages us to deliver certain things to our brothers. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, words of encouragement, whatever you do in word or deed, let it be for the Lord. What do you bring? I believe God gave you something to bring to the table. The ultimate expression of this is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is that manna in the jar. He is the staff that sprouted in number 17. He is the law, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But he has called you to be what he is. The word Christian means little Christ. Yeah. Did Brandon bring you something good tonight? Yes. When I stood up earlier and I talked to you about emotions and I read to you out of Acts, I didn't know what Brandon was preaching on. Do you believe maybe that there's a chance God will use humble, ordinary men to teach us something? Amen. The beauty in this is that neither Brandon nor I have spent our lives, you know, earning hundreds of degrees. We just spent the last six days gathering. Amen. Amen. So Sunday when we get together, have gathered something. Gather, right? Most churches are going to be satisfied if you gather some change and you put it in their plate. If you gather your family and set them in the seat. And that's pretty well the requirement. Here, we want something more. We, we want you to share your life with us. Amen. Amen. I'm going I'm to give a shout out to a brother here today. Is that okay? Yes. Curtis has been with us a short time. But everything from his body language to his verbiage to when he sees me, when he sees you, he's engaging. You know, I don't know enough about Curtis. He's probably not a perfect man, if I had to guess. I, I bet he's made of the same stuff I am, right? Flawed human material. But I can see the Lord at work in his life, and he wants to bring something to the table. Amen. Right? That's what I got out of the message. I like to share a little bit of what I got out of a message and hope you carry something away with it too. Amen. Amen. There's not a person in here that I will not let preach. I will not encourage to preach. I won't hope that you preach. I, I do. I want you to. But every day you have a chance to bring something to that table. Right, Spence? Come on, brother. Do we have a testimony before we leave? Is there a testimony in the room? Mm. Testimony of, of anybody who got a job today? Hallelujah! Come on, man. Hallelujah.